Gospel of Luke chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I don't know if you've ever been cheated. I've had uh, experiences, small, where I've been cheated, and big, where I've been cheated. And I think we all hate being cheated. We all, all hate being treated unjustly. could be something small like uh, my wife who ordered some shoes online. What a great deal it looked like. Amazingly beautiful shoes at such a bargain price. And when they came, they were made out of this very cheap plastic. And the shoes literally began to fall apart as soon as she took them out of the box. Cheated. That's a small thing. Some of the ways in which we get cheated are far worse. You might be treated unjustly at work, or maybe you feel like your childhood was robbed from you because you were treated unjustly at school or in your home. You might be cheated by a friend. You might be cheated by your own family member. And all the arguments you've had trying to settle it, all the anger and all the hurt has just left you bitter inside. You're bruised and you're broken. So the question is, does Jesus care about that? Does Jesus care about justice? We know that he came to heal those who were bruised and broken, but he also came to heal those who were embittered because they had suffered injustice. And, and some of it, of course, far worse than anything I've mentioned so far. We've seen the bitter and bitterness and the anger, really, of People all through this past year, haven't we? People who think that injustice is being done. That the laws are not being kept as they should be. So here in our text is a real life situation. And I'd like to look at it, first of all, as a picture of a bitter soul. Then a grim warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, a magnificent medicine which Jesus prescribes. So it begins with this picture of a bitter soul crying out to Jesus. Uh, Luke sets the scene, and I, I think it's significant. Chapter 12, verse 1 of Luke says this, Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, he began saying to his disciples, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Under these circumstances, if you Read chapter 11, 
You know what the circumstances are. Jesus was just railing against the powerful Pharisees, crying out against their hypocrisy. And they were angry. In fact, at the end of the chapter, they're plotting against Jesus. So it's under those circumstances. There's there's tension bristling in the air. And then Jesus began preaching as you read the beginning of Luke chapter 12. He says, don't fear them. I know they're powerful. But they may be able to touch your bodies, but they can't touch your soul. Fear only the Lord God. Fear him and reverence him, and then you don't need to fear anyone else. And it's, it's crowded. In chapter 12, verse 1, Luke sets the scene. It says there was thousands there pushing to get close. Our translation says they were stepping on each other or they were trampling each other. You can imagine the, the mothers were just scared, frightened about their children because they didn't want them to be trampled, holding them close. It was hot. It was sweaty. The weak were feeling faint for lack of air. In the midst of all this, verse 13, chapter 12 of Luke, our text begins with a man asking a question. I think more likely we should read it as he was shouting a question, given that setting. Tell my brother to divide the inheritance fairly. I want justice. Now, it's clear, as you read what Jesus was preaching about, that this man was not really listening to the sermon at all because this is way off topic. But the broken, i found, seldom listen. The broken are just focused on their wound. When when the topic of the conversation turns to their wound, they prick up and they want to hear, but then they lose interest when it moves on to something else. And here is a man, bitter. Bitterness has been welling up in him and now it just bursts out. You see what he's saying? I know the law. The oldest is supposed to get a double portion of the inheritance. But he's supposed to share the rest with everybody. This is not right. All I want is my fair share. You know, I want justice. That's what he's saying. And the law did say that the whole family gets something of the inheritance, although the eldest gets a double portion. So Jesus asks a question which seems at first to Sounds like he's saying, I don't really want to deal with this. He says, man, who appointed me a judge to arbitrate over you? Verse 14. He's really saying something wise. He says, I I really haven't heard both sides, which is what any judge would say. I I don't know where the other party is. Uh, This isn't the right venue for your complaint. But instead, Jesus does address the issue. But he addresses it in a far more deeper way. He He deals with things much more important than the inheritance. And he begins like this, verse 15. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And to illustrate the point then, Jesus tells this story. It was read for you by Robert. It's a story about a man who has a bumper crop, but all the hearers knew what Jesus was really talking about, right? I mean, he was talking about this man who was demanding justice and about the brother from whom he was demanding justice. Really, it was about inheriting a fortune. And so, I think we should hear the story in that way. One day, a man got a phone call, and a lawyer called him into his office, and when he got there, 
the lawyer told him that this man had inherited a vast fortune. Oh, and he was so happy. On the way home, he was you know, planning what kind of house he was going to build, what lands he was going to buy. Oh, and he's going to invest in the stock market. He had heard how well that was doing. He was filled with these dreams and he came home. He was, he was so excited. He shared his dreams with his family. But that very night, the same day that the will was read, that very night he died. That's a story that Jesus told. And the lesson is in verse 21. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. You, you can fight for homes here. You can fight for your inheritance here. But be careful that in the process you don't lose your home in heaven. You can fight for justice, Jesus is saying. But be careful that in the process you don't lose your soul. Because it can happen. So who is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about the brother who's asking who the man is complaining against? Or is he a- a- talking about the man who asked this question, who feels just broken and embittered because he's been treated unjustly? Who is he talking about? What, what do you think? Was Jesus saying, okay, it's a good question. Here's a picture of your brother. Even though he has all the money and houses and lands, you should pity him. You should pray for him. Because for all that world, all those worldly goods he has, he's not able to buy peace for his soul. Or is he talking about the man who's asking the question? Is this a, a warning to him? What's, what's fair treatment worth to you? Is fighting for justice worth it if it costs you your soul and your home in heaven? What's justice worth to you? And so, here's this picture we began with. A picture of a, a man who's bitter and broken, a bitter soul. Now, that brings us to that grim warning that Jesus gives to him and to all of us. Fighting for justice is a noble cause. But you have to be careful because you can lose your soul. Justice is noble. It's godly. And to fight for justice is a high calling. I don't think we should ever ignore that. And we can't ever forget that. We have, all of us do, we have an innate sense of justice. We, we long for justice. We, we're angry when there's injustice. And I think it's because we're made in the image of God, who is the judge of all the earth, it says in the book of Job. And he loves justice and he commands us to be just in our treatment of one another. Even children from the youngest age fight for justice. You've seen it a hundred times, haven't you? Two kids playing, and one comes crying to you and says, it's not fair. I had that truck first. Tell them to give it back to me. I want justice. And when they fight, they're fighting for justice, at least as they see it. I want justice. Justice is, is, is from God. It's a manifestation of his own character. And so God says in the Bible that justice is something we can use to preserve ourselves from the evil around us in the world. So, for example, in Acts chapter 25, Paul is on trial before the governor. And it's clear that things aren't going quite right. They're not on the up and up. There's whispers of bribery for the governor and all that. And Paul realizes this is not justice being done. 
But he knows that as a Roman citizen, he has the right to appeal to a higher court. And so he says in Acts 25, I appeal to Caesar. And then this governor, who seems to be a little bit shady as far as justice goes, is required to send Paul to the higher court. Paul wanted justice. It's God's tool to protect his people. Scripture demands that we act justly. In James chapter 5, if you read that chapter, it's a long sermon against those who are withholding wages from those to whom those wages are due. He says, woe to you rich. If you have those to whom you owe money, you better pay what you owe. And God demands that we speak up about injustice when God gives an opportunity. For example, in Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. God's idea of justice is God's idea of justice. And I have to tell you, as you look at the ideas of justice that are floating around and sometimes being discussed in the books and magazine articles that are being written, the idea of justice from God is not in harmony with our idea of justice. Let me give you one example. One example of how it goes against the grain of our culture. We tend to favor the poor over the rich. I, I think I do. You know what I mean? You, you sort of root for the underdog. And, and you always want the one who just looks poor and has so many troubles on his life to at least get a break here. I was on a jury once. And the whole trial was about an, a large insurance company being sued. And as soon as we went into the deliberation room, one woman says, they have so much money, just let the plaintiff win. I don't care. I don't care about justice. Make the rich poor. But here's what the law of God says. It's contrary to what many are advocating even in our own society. But for example, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 15, the Bible says, don't show any partiality. Do not favor the rich. And then it says, neither should you favor the poor. You know, the statue of Lady Justice is blindfolded in all our courts. Don't favor anybody. Impartial. So then, if God is for justice, if God is a judge who loves justice, why this warning from Jesus to this man who just wants justice? Because self-interest blinds us to true justice. On the one hand, we know this, right? We, we, we know that when we're in a struggle, when you're in a fight, you only see things from your own perspective. If you've had two people you love in a, in a fight, you know that each one, when they tell you your story, uh, their, their story rather, are only telling it from their own perspective. We know that self-interest blinds us to justice when we're involved in that struggle ourselves in any degree. But rather than talk about that, I want to talk about something even worse. And that's what Jesus addresses here. Self-interest blinds us to God's interest. Uh, this is very unpopular, what I'm about to say. I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. And I want to hear it, you to hear it in the context of everything else I'm saying. But I have to tell you this because really it's at the very heart of the gospel. At the very heart of what Christ came to do for us. And so we have to understand this, that Jesus willingly suffered injustice and called us to follow his example. Jesus willingly suffered injustice, not just that, then he called us to follow his example. Willingly suffer injustice? Why? 
Why in the world would anybody do that? Well, if you have your Bibles, I just want to read a few verses uh, from the first letter of Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'll begin at verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, let me just read these verses beginning at verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow. What's the example? Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. He was perfectly innocent. He did nothing wrong. And while being reviled, yet look at how he was treated. While being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Now you see what is happening here. Jesus himself said, as you read the Gospels, that he could have called down the armies of heaven to do justice to those who were mistreating him unjustly. He had that power. So why didn't he? Why did he suffer in this way against evil men who were killing him unjustly? Did he not care about justice? Was he saying justice doesn't matter? Actually, this passage says exactly the opposite. It says he trusted God to be the judge. He knew that God would ultimately judge righteously. He prayed in his heart, you might say, for ultimate justice to be done. In God's time, in God's way, justice would be done. So then why did he suffer unjustly? Well, because there was something of more value than the immediate satisfaction of justice. There's something more important than seeing justice done. What was that? Well, friends, it was his love for you. It was that he wanted to pay the payment that you owed for your sins. He wanted to redeem you, to win, to buy back peace with God for you. There's something more important. And, well, as long as I've already jumped off this cliff, let me keep telling you things which I think are contrary to the grain of our culture and sometimes, therefore, hard to hear. But Scripture has more to say about Christians and how we seek justice. If you uh, read sometime 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says there about uh, how we should demand justice or when we should not. It says Christians have a perfect right to take their disputes to court systems. So if two of you have a fight, yep, you can take it to the courts. You have a right to do that. But it says, Scripture says, it's better to find someone in the church who can settle the dispute. Why air it out before the watching world? There must be someone wise enough to settle that dispute. But then it says something else. There's something even better than having somebody in the church settle the dispute. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 7 says, To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Listen to this. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? That's something. Suffer injustice willingly. Do it for the health of the church. Do it to show the world how God's people live and value the love that he's given us for one another and for him. Do it to show the glory of Christ without distraction 
as other people look at us without being distracted by the disputes they see in the church? Wouldn't it be better to just be defrauded? Just let it go. Just let it go, God's Word says. There are things more important, vastly more important than seeking justice. So now we go back to our text, you'll see that what I'm saying really is echoing the words of Jesus to this man who is broken and bruised by what he sees as injustice. This is his perspective, and he sees it as injustice. And so Jesus is asking him, is, is seeking justice really the best, the wisest? Is it the safest course for your soul? What will it do to you? And then Jesus points us to, well, what we'd call a magnificent medicine for the for the embittered soul. And so, thirdly, let me turn to this. What is this powerful medicine that, that you and I should drink deeply of all the time? The, the cure for those who have been treated unjustly, maybe are being treated unjustly. I'd like to jump ahead to what Jesus says and just read a few verses. And you'll recognize this because this is also a part of the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 29 in Luke chapter don't seek what you will eat, what you will drink. Don't keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Seek His kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Yep, food, shelter, clothing. Justice? How about justice? Doesn't our Father in heaven, who is the judge of all the earth, know that we need that also? Won't, isn't that one of the things that will also be added to us by the Lord God if we seek his kingdom? All these things are given by God if we seek his kingdom. That's the medicine. But you don't know how much I've been cheated. I am so angry. I go to bed thinking about it. My nightmares are about it. I wake up. I have a sour stomach. I'm so angry. I want to fight back. You don't know how badly I've been cheated. I'll tell you what you need. You need medicine. And I'm not talking about antacids for your stomach. You need stronger medicine for your soul. You need medicine or else this bitterness will smolder in your life maybe for an entire lifetime. There's many who need this. We know people who need this medicine, don't we? We talk to them and this is what bubbles out of them all the time. Like this man, it wells up. Even when it's not the topic, it is the topic. There's many of you who are listening who know that you need this medicine also. So the medicine Jesus is offering is to fill our hearts and our minds with the, with the grand beauties of his kingdom. Most people walk bent over. Most people who are suffering injustices in this world walk with their eyes fixed on the mud and the muck that they have to walk through because of all the wrongs that, they have, been, that have been done to them. Thinking of these words from a Christmas carol, which describes those who are still waiting for the kingdom. It's an invitation to, to look at the kingdom, to be enthralled with the beauty of the kingdom. It describes people like this, Oh, you beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. 
been walking along, just looking at the muck that we've been dealt. This is what we have to walk through. This is the path that people have put us on. And Jesus says, lift your eyes up. Look up. Look at the stars. Look at the mountains. Look at the glory of the clouds. And then look at the one who made all that. And then even above that, look at the glory of his kingdom filled with grace and love and power on your behalf. Seek his kingdom. Desire his kingdom. Long for his kingdom. Seek his kingdom. And how about justice? Yes, seek justice. And I'd say especially for other people. Not for yourself, because then self-interest will blind you. Not even for those you love, because that same self-interest is there. Not even for those who are in your group, your race, your nation. Seek justice for those with whom you have no connection except that you want God's will to be done in their lives. That's the safest. But for us Christians, seeking justice is only safe when our priority is to seek the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. It's only safe to seek justice when the glory of the kingdom of heaven is the beauty, the chief beauty that we seek. And that's what brings us peace. That's the medicine. I have to tell you, it's a struggle. It's a medicine that's you know, sort of a big pill that's hard to swallow sometimes when we're suffering from injustice. But it is the right medicine. Uh, at least it is for me. I'll bet all of you could tell stories of small or very big injustices that you've suffered. I, I was thinking back to uh, my first apartment, and it was just filthy. It was filthy. Uh, there was hardly, couldn't tell what was spots on the carpet and what was carpet. You know, you, the, the walls weren't painted. The guy, the landlord who owned lots of properties, wealthy man, didn't care about anything. He was renting to poor students who had to take whatever they could in the city. The baseboard was chipped. The wall was, had holes in it. So when I moved in, I repaired everything. I fixed the baseboards. I painted the walls. It looked really good. Shampooed the carpets. When I got married, I, I moved out. And again, I cleaned everything out. It was spotless. I went to the landlord to collect my security deposit. He says, nope, we're not getting any. Why not? Because the place is filthy can't give you your security deposit. It's going to cost me a lot to fix it, blah, 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 blah. I thought, what is he talking about? So I went back. Now, I didn't have a key to get in. The only key was in the hands of the landlord. So I peeked in the window. It's spotless, except right from the front door, there's these big, muddy footprints going in, walking around, and going out. It was the landlord. He'd walked in with muddy footprints on that clean floor, and now he was saying it was filthy. I was just so angry. I was a silly little student. I, I didn't know what rights I had. I didn't know what tools I could use or who I could go to. So I just pounded on his door again angrily and I said, this is what happened. This is your footprints. And he says, nope, no security deposit. And he begins to close the door. And as he is closing the door, I said to him, God will judge you. Now, it sounds very Christian, but really it was swearing at him in a Christian way. You know that, right? But, you know, God is gracious because the words were true. And as I walked away and as a few days went by, I didn't feel any bitterness because I began to realize, you know, that's true. Justice will be done. Not just for me, but for all those that this landlord is cheating every, every time any student moves out. God will do justice and 
the God of the kingdom of heaven, the God who rules over heaven and earth, is a just judge. And that brings us peace. That's the medicine we need. The glories of his kingdom. Won't the judge of all the earth do right? Friends, in a world where you will experience, maybe you are experiencing many injustices, Jesus says, first, above all, seek the kingdom of God. It's the only way to keep your souls safe. Otherwise, you'll be overcome, overcome with bitterness, anger, and sin. But when we seek the kingdom, then we begin to see life in true perspective. Because we see it in the light of the immensities of God's kingdom. You know, His glory, His power, His love, His mercy, and yes, His justice. Immensities of God's glory. That was from an expression I read from an old writer, Frank Borum, who wrote about a hundred years ago. He said this. This uh, grabbed me when I read it. He opened a little essay with this sentence. Immensity is magnificent medicine. Immensity is the best antidote for bitterness many feel from suffering injustice. Uh, what Borum meant was that, and what he goes on to explain, is that God has surrounded us with grand beauties and these, these powerful glories are what we need to focus on. The, he, he mentions the power of Niagara Falls, you know, the awesome beauty of the Grand Canyon or the stars in heaven. He says, staring at those is medicine that keeps our souls from being dragged down to the mud and the muck of this fallen world. And he's right. But then he goes on to explain that there's an even higher beauty. Jesus wasn't saying that we shouldn't fight for justice when we have the opportunity, but he was saying, Really, he was asking, what occupies our hearts and minds? Is it the immense beauty of the kingdom of heaven? And if that's not what occupies our hearts and minds, then life's injustices will grind us down into dust. We need this medicine. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things, everything will be added to you by the hand of the Father who loves you. Let dreams of the kingdom fill your thoughts. Let your prayers and your longings be as big and as large as the kingdom of heaven. More than justice for yourself. Maybe more than justice for those that you love that, that are part of your circle. Pray, Lord, for the grand beauty of Lord, your kingdom to come. Your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what I long for. Uh, Francis Caldwell was a missionary to Japan a little more than 100 years ago. Uh, She taught kindergarten there. Very uh, excellent writer. She was writing about how so many of us are satisfied with our small prayers because our hearts are small, our longings are small. And how our prayers are so small that they're always within our own reach. And here's how she put it. She says, I almost envy those good people who can stand in the middle of their prayers and touch all four sides. They know what they want and are satisfied when they get it. But I want the moon and the stars and the sun thrown in. Immensities. Immensity is wonderful medicine. We want the kingdom. That's what the Spirit of Christ has put in us. Christ gives the bitter and the broken this medicine. Set your heart on seeking the glories of the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be thrown in. 
grand love for you from the Father in heaven. Provisions for your life. Power to live this life. And yes, justice. Justice for you. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for being our king. The king who rules righteously, justly. Who hates injustice. And who will set things right at the best time, at the right time, according to your wisdom and your glory. First, Lord, teach us patience to wait for you. Give us wisdom to know when we should speak, when we should be quiet. Lord, above all, heal the bitterness in our hearts, the bitterness that we feed by thinking long and hard about the injustices we have suffered. Free us from that. Be our champion, Lord. Break those chains Fill us instead with the glories of your love and your grace. In your holy name we pray it. Amen. You know, being occupied with the wrongs that have been done to us is a full-time job for some. And man, it's a hazardous work. It's a dangerous job. Listening to ourselves complain about all the mistreatments that have happened to us deafens us to every other voice. Even even the voice of the Father whispering peace to us. I quoted earlier from that Christmas carol, It Came Upon a Midnight Clear. It has a stanza we don't usually sing. It's about the song of the angels, the song of the angels to all those who maybe are embittered. It says this, And man at war with man hears not the tidings which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, you men of strife, and hear the angels sing. Listen, you belong to a glorious kingdom. You serve a beautiful king. May the songs of the kingdom drown out every bitter and harsh word you ever hear. Amen.